Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to Mom Jeans. And this week's episode, we're talking about your pelvic floor. When I think of the pelvic floor, I literally used to just think of Kegels or the fact that my grandma always used to laugh and then tell me, I peed my pants. And as a kid, I was like, gross, grandma. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, what a poor lady. She just needed some pelvic floor therapy. Now that I've had a baby and engaged in a form of self-care that I didn't know existed, pelvic floor therapy, I am enlightened to a whole new world. Now going back to my grandma peeing her pants, I can't say it while normally. I can remember some of my aunts or grandma or my mom, sorry mom, say, oh, I just peed my pants when they were laughing like Rachel and I are doing right now or when they jumped up and down or say, oh no, I can't go running because I'll just pee myself. (laughs) Unfortunately, I used to think this was just normal. After you have a kid, you're just always going to pee your pants a little. Well, mamas, we are here to shed some light on this matter. You don't have to pee your pants, even if you are cool. Or if you were one of those mamas that peed their pants a little, has chronic lower back pain post-birth, go into a pool and feel like you are peeing, but you aren't, it's time to train your pelvic floor. I I mean, the fact that, like, you, you mean I don't have to pee my pants every time I play tag with my kids in the backyard? Like, this is... This is amazing. Like, it's the family joke, like, Mommy, how many times did you pee during tag today? Like, it's it's a problem, you guys. Oh so I'm very excited for this interview today because I definitely need some pelvic floor therapy. Well, a little self-disclosure here. I actually went to Christina, who we're interviewing today, for my pelvic floor therapy. And it I originally went because I had a four-finger split in my abdominal wall, my diastasis recti, and I was having lower back pain. Then come to find out, I started going to swim classes with my son and felt like I was leaking or peeing in the pool. I I wasn't peeing, I promise, but it didn't matter. All the babies were peeing, but... I also was having painful intercourse, which was affecting my sex life, TMI. I know. I'm sorry, hubby. Well, I'm happy to say that none of that exists anymore, and it's because I healed and strengthened my pelvic floor. So thank you, Christina. Yeah, we're going to let Christina go into all the details here, and I'm excited because I most likely will be hiring her or someone else to help me out here. So obviously we do not specialize in this, but we're going to give a little bit of education and go over a few facts before we dive into this interview. So what is your pelvic floor? Because it's not just about the Kegels. Tina, can you share with us what the pelvic floor is? I can. Your pelvic floor is a sling of muscles that run from the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back. The pelvic floor supports a woman's uterus, bladder, and colon. 
Pelvic floor muscles can also be weak or strong depending on how often you work them. I'm not saying that people are doing Kegels all day long and that their pelvic floor is jacked, but they naturally just might have a strong pelvic floor and this can be a problem because you need to be able to relax your pelvic floor. So it's important to learn how to strengthen these muscles, but also how to relax them. So here are some signs that your pelvic floor is weak. Leaking urine when you're jumping, exercise, laughing, or coughing. Not making it to the toilet on time and being able to hold in your urine. Finding it difficult to empty your bladder or bowels. Accidentally passing gas. Pain in the pelvic or tailbone area. Or painful sex. And there are many more that Christina will go into, but those are just a few. Um, So there's also pelvic floor muscle fitness, and this is affected by a number of things. These include, but are not limited to, um, not including strength training or never engaging in your pelvic floor, which apparently I struggled with, which I didn't even know, uh, being pregnant and having a vaginal birth or a C-section, history of back pain or tailbone pain, heavy lifting at the gym, work, straining to go to the bathroom or chronic constipation, and aging. We're also going to cover a diastasis recti today. That is a separation between the left and right abdominal muscles. Diastasis means separation and recti is short for your abdominal muscles. So why the heck are we bringing it up in a pelvic floor conversation? Well, this is an area that can be healed and worked on with your pelvic floor therapist. The key point here is that self-care is important and taking care of all of this in your body is another form of self-care, especially for moms. So hopefully you will find this interview and Christina as helpful as we think she was. And we booked a ticket for her to come out to California ASAP to help me out. Let's, let's transition to the interview now. Hey, listeners, welcome today to our interview with Christina. Uh, Christina, can you please tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Christina McGee. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist at Sullivan Physical Therapy in Austin, Texas. We are a pelvic floor specialty clinic. So we have, there's 10 of us, all doctors of physical therapy, and we treat people of all genders, all ages throughout the lifespan on topics of bladder, bowel, sexual dysfunction, and pelvic pain. And I have kind of a passion project. Also, I partnered with a birthing center here because I love working with moms and um, treating pregnancy and postpartum issues because so many changes happen around that time with pelvic health. Yes. And this is why we are having you on today to chat all about that. Uh, So thank you. Absolutely. So can you tell our listeners what pelvic floor therapy is? In a nutshell. So really people are coming to us with all sorts of complaints as related to anything really going on between their ribs and their knees that they don't like. So that can be symptoms like bladder leakage, prolapse, pain, pain with intercourse, uh, diastasis recti, constipation, really any sort of bowel and bladder sexual dysfunction, pain complaints that can be going on. Uh, We look at them from a musculoskeletal perspective. So sure, you can go to your urologist or you can go to a colorectal doctor, but we're really going to look at the whole system. How does your posture and your muscular strength and your breath and all these other factors, how do they 
play together um, to make a symptom happen. And then also we ask so many crossover questions. So if you go to your urologist, they're only asking you questions about your bladder. You go to your colorectal doctor, they're only asking questions about your bowels. And we ask very holistic, all over the board questions to really get to what is the heart of the dysfunction going on. Yes. And I'm like, literally, as you're saying all those things, I'm like, check, 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 check. Everything was happening with me postpartum. And so, yeah, you saved my my pelvic floor. (laughs) (laughs) So like for me, I was so shocked to learn that my lower back pain postpartum at like 12 weeks was due to my pelvic floor. Um, I had no idea. I went to a chiropractor a little bit and got like popped I guess, into place, but it was beyond that. It, it got to a place where it's not working. So can you tell our listeners what other signs and symptoms mamas should look out for when deciding whether or not they need pelvic floor therapy in addition to kind of what you already shared? Yeah, yeah. so interestingly, in other countries, 100% of people postpartum go to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. So that's if they're feeling really great or really what? terrible, everyone goes. And the reason is that those are all countries with socialized medicine and they respect that like if they spend just a tiny bit of money on preventative care soon after delivery, they're not spending enormous amounts of money on the fallout from not doing that care later on. So ideally in a perfect world, everyone would get evaluated postpartum, whether they're delivering vaginally or via cesarean, just to make sure that they're healing well and getting back to activity safely. Because the things that we look for are different than what your gynecologist or your midwife is looking for. They're just making sure like obstetrically that you're healing correctly. Cervix is closed. Uterus is shrinking back down to normal size, but we're looking at so many other components of healing, but really symptoms that are going to stand out to say, I think I need to really get this checked out. We talked about any leakage. So any urinary fecal gas leakage after about that six week postpartum If you're having some urinary leakage at two weeks postpartum, I'm not all that worried. There's been a big change in stretching and things can come back together. But if that's still persisting after six weeks, it's worth getting looked at. Um, Urinary frequency and urgency. So rushing to the bathroom all the time or feeling like it's an emergency when you do have to go. A feeling of heaviness or a feeling like there's a tampon inserted all the time. Those are symptoms of prolapse you want to get checked out. Or if you go to wipe and or you're bathing and you feel like a bulge or blob at the vaginal opening, that's a reason to get checked out. Any pain with sex, because that is not normal either before or after baby. Scar pain, if it's a cesarean or whether you had an episiotomy or torn naturally, um, that scar can be painful and we can definitely address that. Diastasis recti, poochy feelings at the belly, and then like you mentioned, low back, hip, pubic bone type pain. Sure. So as a mom who's had both cesarean and vaginal delivery, I'm curious how a mama who just had the cesarean, what she would need with pelvic floor therapy and what you would work on with her. Yeah, absolutely. So having a cesarean, depending on the person and the circumstances can be pretty rough on your body. I mean, it's a, it's a huge surgery regardless, but especially if it was done emergently, I think moms can have a lot of issues going around that scar. They're not anticipating leaving the hospital with a cesarean and maybe didn't mentally go into recovery mode preparing that way. And so much attention 
no matter how no matter how you deliver so much attention is on the baby postpartum and so little on the recovering mom so that scar can just not get much love or attention or people really don't get much instruction on how to care for it and the scar can get really tacked down and then impact bladder and bowel it's almost like the scar has roots underneath it and is kind of wrapping around everything or applying a lot of pressure over the bladder. And that can really play a big part in bladder urgency and bladder leakage, as well as discomfort over the bladder um, or even pain with intercourse. And how does pelvic floor therapy help moms with that? So we're definitely going to work over the scar specifically to get it more mobile and kind of release those organs from underneath the scar. Um, having that cut through the abdominal muscles can really impair how the muscles kick on as well. So, you know, surgery anywhere through the body, if you have knee surgery and they cut through your quadricep, it's going to be harder for you to use the musculature around your knee in the same way cutting through the abdominal muscles makes it a lot harder to activate those muscles effectively. And you can end up with back pain, especially as the, usually the top complaint, but you can have pain at the scar. Um, or make it hard to close a diastasis recti, or you can end up with back pain because those muscles that are your stabilizers just aren't activating. They've been kind of deadened by being cut through. This is going to be TMI, and I feel like my husband's going to kill me. (laughs) But but I know that one reason I didn't even come to you – I mean – Self-disclosure, I came to Christina. She healed my body. Thank you. Um, But one of the things I learned when coming to you was, oh, I'm having like painful sex, you know, and and you were like, well, let's work on that. And I'm like, huh, we're here to do pelvic floor. How is this? What are we doing? You know, Um, are we going to like bang sticks together and wish my vagina to be fine? But so this is not something that we should be overlooking and now it's like night and day you know I'm not like jumping bones over here but it's I'm not not having painful sex yeah so thank you yeah you're welcome and as we look at that whole spectrum of questions that we talked about before you know if I'm asking somebody are you rushing to the bathroom all the time and you feel like you can't get there in time um did you have a painful incision vaginally or did you have a cesarean i mean there are so many different factors that as a person is telling me their story i already start hypothesizing what their next answer is going to be because there's a pattern that's forming and so whether you're coming exclusively because you're having painful intercourse and you're seeking care for that or whether you're coming for this whole myriad of problems But really, when you bring up painful intercourse, you're like, well, you know what? That matches all your other symptoms. That makes sense that you're experiencing that because everything else is pointing to the fact that either you have a painful adhered scar or that you have pelvic floor tension. And I think so often postpartum, we think about pelvic floor weakness. People talk, we don't talk about pelvic floor a ton in general pop culture in, you know, overall, but when they do talk about issues with pelvic floor postpartum, it's usually brought up, oh, I'm having leakage or there's weakness. We think about this stretching out of the pelvic floor, but really a lot of people also end up with too much tension through the pelvic floor. And that's going to show itself in symptoms like painful intercourse. That's interesting. What about painful, um, what about like 
pain using tampons after birth because yeah. I had prolapse after my second and I literally could barely use a tampon. It was so painful. Yeah. And pain with tampons can be either issue. So it can be a weakness issue, like a prolapse issue where you go to insert it and you're like, there is nowhere to put this thing anymore. Like the whole geography has changed. So it's hard to get a tampon in place and then hard to keep it from shifting and spinning and turning and doing crazy stuff. That's really uncomfortable. Um, it's almost poking you in an organ when it hasn't done that before. Or there's the issue that everything is so tight, you really can't insert the tampon or it's very painful to insert because everything is clenched and closed. Wow. So what's the reality that Rachel can go to a pelvic floor therapist now having been postpartum for how old's your youngest? Four years? Yeah. So, well, so the prolapse actually healed itself when I had my third child. I did not know this could happen. My doctor explained it to me that basically, and you can tell me this is incorrect, every time you have a baby, the muscle contracts back up to put everything up. It didn't really do that, all those muscles and stuff, after my second, but after my third, the body kind of reacted the way it's supposed to react. So the prolapse actually was relieved after I had birth, gave birth again. So I don't have that pain anymore. So this is where, you know, we're definitely going to stop having babies while we're ahead of the game here. Um, but <laughs> still have, definitely still have the weakness. Definitely still, you know, the joke of mommy pees her pants when she runs too fast. So, and so as someone, so Tina's been on the receiving side of your services. For someone who doesn't know anything about the services, I'll represent those mamas. Like, what, what could I expect when coming to you that would not be me disrobing? <laughs> okay, so first, um, to answer a question that was asked a little bit ago, you can seek therapy at any point. Once postpartum, always postpartum. We see people at all stages of life. And if I'm seeing someone in their 50s, they're certainly not immediately postpartum. Like we're dealing with things that probably tissues that probably had insult to them a number of years ago, but we can still reach all of their goals. I mean, it's really nice if you can get to it early. So that person is not having to deal with those symptoms, prolonged periods, or um, they're not making anything worse by doing any bad habits over time, because we can teach you how to do things a little bit differently. So you're not making anything worse. Uh, but you can seek treatment at any point and yes, still achieve a full recovery. Yeah. I had a, I had a friend who I referred to you pre 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 birth. And so she went to kind of prep her body. So I think that's even important for mamas that are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant that you can still get this assistance even before you actually give birth. And I'd say that's ideal for people who especially have like heavy physical demands, like you are a CrossFitter and now you're pregnant and you still want to participate in your activity, but we don't want to do any damage or do anything dangerous and really us helping you navigate that. That's perfect. Um, but what to expect in a physical therapy appointment the first day we sit down and we talk a lot. I have a myriad of questions for everyone ranging from pain to numbness and tingling to what is, what are your activities and what does your home life look like? And what are your goals and what are activities you want to get back to? What does your bladder function look like? Bowel function look like? What is sexual activity like for you? And where are you feeling limitations at this point? And then we go over medical history and, um, things that I need to know too, to make sure I'm giving you a right program to match your body. 
Um, but then depending on how much time we have left, we're going to look at big picture things. At least I try to the first day. So looking at posture, looking at pelvic alignment, and then maybe looking at some things that are more specific to your exact complaint. So I like to check diastasis recti on the first day, know if there's a separation in the abdominal muscles, cause that's going to trickle down to a few different symptoms. Um, and then teach people how to start managing that. So maybe some things they will or won't do based on things we're finding. And then we may or may not do a pelvic exam that first day. And it's always up to the, the patient whether or not they wanna pursue an internal pelvic exam at all, but we get a lot of information that way. And there's no stirrups and there's no speculum. Um, it's really just us feeling musculature and figuring out what needs additional cueing or additional care um, for you to meet your goals. So overall, and at some point we might look at hip range of motion. We're going to address breathing mechanics because that's hugely impactful for pressures through the abdomen and the pelvis. Um, but yeah, kind of like a whole slew of different things to look at just to make sure that we're getting the whole problem. So yeah, coming back to the reason why I recommended my friend to come see you before she gave birth was I'm a 35-year-old woman who, after giving birth and after coming to you, realized that I had no idea how to truly engage my entire pelvic floor. Um, and so... I feel like it's so important for others to know what this actually is and what it feels like. So can you please tell people? <laughs> yeah, so research will actually show that about a third of people will perform a pelvic floor contraction incorrectly if they're just giving given written or verbal cues. So that's why it's important to not just, you know, read in Cosmo how many Kegels you should be doing and then thinking you're going to meet all your goals that way. It's really nice to have a pelvic floor physical therapist to check your form, check to make sure that you're matching your pelvic floor contraction to your breath. But your pelvic floor reaches, it's like a bowl underneath your pelvis and it reaches all the way from your pubic bone. So in the front, all the way back to your tailbone. So a big bowl of musculature underneath you. And it also goes side to side. So to your sit bones as well, and even beyond. So when I cue someone to do a pelvic floor contraction, usually I say it should feel like you're holding back both urine and gas. And usually I have to cue them a few times to really understand what I'm saying. So we might say first squeeze like you're only holding back urine. Okay, now squeeze like you're only holding back gas. Now do both of those together because you should feel something all the way through front to back. Most people do not get that initially i'm doing it right now. and then <laughs> i'm doing it it's hard to breathe you have to breathe <laughs> so you always want to match your contraction with a light exhalation and i usually say about like blowing on a dandelion so as you're doing a light blowing out that's when you want to contract and really so many people's symptoms and impairments come from the fact they have a very difficult time matching their breath to their muscular contraction, especially people with stress incontinence. So people that are having leakage with exercise, leakage with lifting, leakage with jumping and coughing and sneezing, all those people, usually what the heart of the problem is, they might have some true, some true weakness, 
but also usually the heart of the problem is that their breath is now mismatched with their pelvic floor muscular activation. So when they're doing all those things where their pelvic floor should automatically protect them and activate, it's actually bearing down and allowing leakage. Oh, I'm a very stressed human. So the, the breath could be the problem. I do have to always cross my legs when I sneeze. Oh my gosh. So, okay. When I was in labor, I pushed for four and a half hours, but I think it was because I started pushing too early. I really didn't need to start pushing, but also I didn't know how to engage my pelvic floor to bear down. I think I was pushing with my throat versus actually pushing with my pelvic floor. And now I was squeezing the whole time or squeezing. Yes. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, Ready to pop out a baby. Let's try this pelvic floor. But no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just joking. What's the belly piece, though? I feel like you told me about the belly. And then I was like, oh, my God, there's really like three things. Yeah. So as you blow out and anyone can do this at home, if they look in a mirror, like stand up, look in a mirror as you blow out, just where does your belly go? Because it should gently pull in. As you blow out, your belly should gently kind of like suck in toward your spine, not hollowing, not like you're like sucking in your belly, but just a gentle hug in of that musculature. And that's another piece that should happen as you're doing that blowing out, pulling in pelvic floor, pulling in abdominals, because that pulling in of the abdominals and pelvic floor together helps mediate pressures and creates stability within your pelvis and your low back. And that's where we end up if the pelvic floor isn't working correctly, or you have a diastasis or your breath mechanics are all off. That's how you end up with a low back pain because the system that is in place to all fire together and kind of hug you. So you don't wiggle and wobble everywhere and fall apart. Um, it's not activating together. And so you are getting these shifts, these painful shifts and lack of support. So I had diastasis recti. I think I had like a four finger separation. And now, I mean, it's like, yeah. Um, Can you tell, can you explain a little bit about that to our listeners and suggestions you would make for them with that? And then any sort of like myths you have around diastasis recti? Such a fun word. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So a diastasis recti really just means a split in your abdominal muscles. So it's this vertical separation right down the linea alba or that um, connection point in the front of your abdominals. So if you think of the six pack, like a split down the middle of the six pack, and it is super common. Some research will show that almost 100% of pregnant women in those final weeks of pregnancy will have a diastasis. And that's understandable. Our bellies stretch enormously to accommodate a growing baby. We want our bellies to stretch. And it's okay that some areas say, you know what, I'll take one for the team and stretch out so that this baby can grow. However, the problem comes postpartum because about 30 to 40% of women will end up with that separation remaining eight months postpartum if they don't have any interventions. And that's a problem because one, no one likes the feeling of being really poochy and feeling like they're still pregnant or people asking them, oh my goodness, are you pregnant again? No, this is just the belly that I still have because it never healed. 
So that's, that's unfortunate, but then it really destabilizes the spine. It impairs pressure control systems. Um, so then it does make things like urinary leakage and prolapse and hernia and pain more likely. And I think the most common myth is that the only way to fix a diastasis is with surgery. Certainly out there exist cases where the diastasis is very large and at a dangerous point for that person. However, in the mass majority of people were able to intervene and successfully close that diastasis. Um, a lot of times it's also stated that if the separation is under two finger widths, you're pretty good, like you're pretty safe. Um, but there's a lot of different factors that we look at to decide when that person is ready to return to all their activities. So I wouldn't just use a blanket statement of if it's under two finger widths, you're good to go because there are a lot of people that are at one finger width that I still have under precautions, but there are also people that might have anywhere within that realm of zero to two finger widths that we say actually because of the way your muscles are presenting and the way they're kicking on, you're safe to get back to activity A, B, or C, whatever they're looking back to. But you can be under two figures and not be functioning well and still need care. Yeah, for me personally, I feel like I really needed to wait till my body was like healed before I could enter into any sort of like of my previous activity because my my whole like center area, my back, just everything that we were doing, it all felt super unstable. And so I like how you said like, hey, wait, there isn't this blanket statement. Everyone is individualized. So just make sure that you are listening to your body and responding to its cues because I think it looks different for everybody. And if yeah. you're not under the care of a physical therapist, things to try to avoid if you know you have that separation no crunches, no sit-ups, no planks, no big back bends, and no twists. And again, that's really if no one is monitoring your care, because not all of those things are off the table for 100% of people with diastasis, but I like to err on the side of caution. So I'd rather pull you off of those things and then bring you through reintroduction safely as it matches you, rather than saying, well, you know, some people can do planks and then people are injuring themselves or worsening their separation or giving themselves hernias because they've returned to those activities when they're not ready yet. No, I had two friends who had surgery for the hernias that were coming through their DR separation. Yeah, the hernias, I can't undo a hernia. I mean, we can try to support the musculature as best as we can over it. And some people that's fine and that's functional for them, but I can't like boop a hernia back into place once it's torn through that tissue. Christina, can you tell us about vagina weights? Sure. Are they like the tedious, so, tiniest dumbbells ever? <laughs> <laughs> I wish they were a dumbbell, like meet, 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 little curls. Uh, no, they're usually, there's a few different ones. There's cones, there's eggs. Um, there's kind of like what looks like a tampon almost. And I am not violently against them or really, really opposed to them. But I think there are so many other ways that we can get you to your goals. I don't think we need to rely necessarily on weights. Really, my, my objection to them comes because you insert it and then you like sit or stand or walk around and try to keep it in. But never would I 
teach someone to just contract the pelvic floor and hold, 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 hold for what, 15 minutes or something? so hard. Not only is that ridiculously hard, it's not functional. And we're teaching your pelvic floor to be on all the time, which it shouldn't be. You don't get your quads strong or your hamstrings strong by just like clenching them all day long. They're supposed to move through a range of motion. And like we talked about before, people who are oftentimes having leakage with things like exercise or jumping, it's due to a lack of adaptability of the pelvic floor, which needs to go through lengthening and contracting with all of your different movements. So if we're just teaching someone's pelvic floor to squeeze and clench and hold, 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 they're probably going to end up with a different set of issues (laughs) afterwards um, if they're not careful. And there's an entire population of people for whom Kegels or pelvic floor contractions are not appropriate to begin with. So all those people who are having pain, um, people who are having pain with intercourse, um, urge incontinence, like rushing to the bathroom, not getting there in time, constipation, usually those are people that should not be doing pelvic floor contractions. They have too much tone. And we need to down train them and teach that muscle to go through its full range again. Well, my personality is not very adaptable, so I'm not surprised my pelvic floor is not either. <laughs> and mine is so adaptable. So as soon as the pelvic floor therapy initiated, my vagina is like, yes, our pelvic floors are just very congruent with our personalities here. So I'm going to go ahead and book a ticket for you to come to my house tonight. If that's possible, please go pack your bags. Um, Big question. Does insurance cover any of this? Yes. So it definitely uh, depends on your provider. At our clinic, yes, we take most major insurances and it's covered just as any form of physical therapy would be. I cannot say the same for every pelvic floor provider throughout the country. There are a number of providers that are cash pay only, um, but you can search for a provider in your area at pelvicrehab.com and you just put in where you're located and it will find a pelvic floor provider in your area. Anything else you feel would be helpful for our listeners about this? Yeah, there are some other really great resources. I did kind of a pelvic floor overview online video course that they can look up to get a little more in-depth on topics we talked about today. It's at www.birthbabybody.com. And there's also a slew of other really helpful videos for moms there, like infant massage and communication with your partner and baby wearing and all sorts of cool videos for low oh, cost. Awesome. And um, some of my coworkers at Sullivan Physical Therapy have an awesome podcast as well. Oh, yeah, let's drop that. Everyone listening is fans of podcasts. It's called PT Below the Waist. And they have all sorts of topics related to pelvic floor health. And they speak to relate to both consumers of pelvic floor health, like customers, as well as providers. So they're really easy to listen to no matter who you are. Um, If you just want a little more perspective on specific topics, they also have some really great people they've interviewed um, on topics of pelvic health. Seriously. Oh my goodness. You guys should have seen the faces we were making trying to contract over here. It was quite the, quite the zoom call today. Thank you so much, Christina, for putting up with our antics. Cool. That 
I think that wraps it up. I, I so appreciate you coming on and talking with us. And I hope <laughs> um, the listeners have enjoyed the self-disclosures <laughs> about my vagina and sex life. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And really, we love being a resource. Um, if people have questions, they can always contact me even at my work email. So that's Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A at Sullivan Physical Therapy because we want everyone to be able to seek care and find answers for those really frustrating symptoms they're experiencing. Well, thank you so much. This was really educational, and I hope a lot of our mom listeners kind of feel empowered to take some steps to figure all this out for themselves. Absolutely. And one small caveat I forgot to talk about before, there's even pelvic floor physical therapy for kids that are having chronic constipation, urinary leakage, fecal leakage, things that... um, are outside the age range. So if they're over five and they're having urinary or fecal leakage, um, or if they're working with chronic constipation, and of course, all those kids that have had, you know, complex pelvic surgeries, things like that, we are also here to treat um, all those issues too, because I know a lot of moms are listening and thinking, I wish this existed for my six-year-old who is still wetting the bed or my, you know, eight-year-old who can't poop. And those, that does it, those services That's do exist. That's my eight-year-old. I'll look into it. Awesome. We hope you all enjoyed this interview and good luck keeping those panties dry this week. Hashtag keep your panties dry. Uh, sorry guys if this is really a problem we're really sorry we're just having a lot of fun recording this it's just we're having fun yes and if you are actually are peeing your pants please see someone it's okay because i am too (laughs) oh good so our takeaway question today is well it's not a question it's more of a statement mamas you don't have to pee your pants even if you're cool so please find a pelvic floor therapist today see y'all next time bye bye This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast. And join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.